You are listening to Boku No Stop, an anime podcast that less than joke greater than. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... Sybil Arnett. And today we're talking about Monster episodes 38 through 40. What happened last time? Just like the Supernatural Club members' research said, the prophecy has come true. A raging conflagration has gone up in the center of the university library, engineered by Johan to cause as much chaos and kill as many VIPs in an undignified way as possible. On stage, Johan chillingly narrates the scramble for survival to the nearblind Schuvald. On a nearby balcony, Tenma and Roberto are locked in a Mexican standoff. In the city, Lunge, Dr. Reichwine, and Nina are all rushing to the scene, realizing one or more of their targets are in the building. And now, episode 38, The Demon in My Eyes. The cold open is just a recap, and this is mostly so we can return from the intro on Tenma and the mercenary who trained him, whose testimony to Lunge punctuates a flashback. It won't matter until the moment when we find out if he can pull the trigger or not. And Tenma fires, and he winged Roberto, got him across the shoulder. It's enough to piss off the tough, though, and he raises the rifle in a scream of... <clears throat> Gotta say, this drops the ball on one of my favorite sequences of the entire manga. We get a brief flashback to the training in this chapter, but it's not until the second time and Roberto is screaming that we just get a panel of Tenma and thinking of the phrase, always pull the trigger twice, and bam, Roberto flies back in a spray of blood over the railing, and they just repeat the panel until a little thud sound comes in from below. The other thing, too, is that they double up on the you always pull the trigger twice thing in a way that, like, kind of sucks some of the air out of it. Exactly. Big bummer. Yeah, this this scene, this sequence between the spread of him going backwards and just the landing and everything about it is one of the moments I remember most from this manga. But we've still got it. It's still a climactic moment. And Tenma checks himself, finds out he hasn't been shot, and the adrenaline kicks in. He goes, I think, well... I think he means finds out he hasn't wrecked himself. <laughs> He goes, well, if I can do it once, Johan's right there, and he makes for his vantage point, but he can't see the twink for trying through the smoke, however. Trying to lower himself down to a better angle, he trips on an unconscious body and stumbles down the stairs. Around the library, the crowd finds all the doors sealed and locked. The event MC is trying to direct staff to make sure Shuval gets top priority, but Johan gets them to panic as well with a calm, and where is this route? Or do you plan to maneuver Mr. Shuvald through the sea of flames blindly? Alone again on stage, the two continue verbally jabbing each other, and Johan says he's, quote, got a new idea. Now, instead of just replacing Shuvald as a figure of note, a uh, where did you come from leads into Johan just grabbing Shuvald by the head and getting right in front of him and going, so you could finally see me. I was born in a fairy tale village, and many people died there. I took my second self's hand and walked into the darkness. Neither one of us possessed a real name. And finally, after all of this, Shuvald is trembling. Outside, Nina has arrived, winded. She flashes back to her parents' corpses on the floor, reaches in her purse for her gun, and... Hey, lady! Turns out Dieter and Reichwein are on the scene as well. 
The doctor's response to this is, wait, do you know this lady? And before we can investigate any of this, everyone notices smoke pouring from the windows. Across town, Carl has returned to Schuwald's Manor. He's looking miserable, probably because of the whole publicly cucked in front of heads of state thing. And this is when he finds out the documents his father left behind were the entire decades-long investigation he had made into Margot Langer, her death, their son, every possible angle that could be covered about why she was killed. Schuwald clearly expected to die at Johann's hands and wanted Carl to have all of this as a going-away present. So we've we've heard most of the Margot Langer stuff, but there's new intel in here in that one of her final clients was the alleged head of a black market bank, the money laundering operation certain mafiosos and blondes have been mentioned around the edge of before. Of note, Margot was also a Czech refugee who tried crossing the border with another woman that got caught. All we know of her is she later had twins. We probably have to discuss this whole wrinkle now, don't we? I don't know if there's much to discuss. It's like pretty facially obvious, right? Oh yeah, I just... I feel like this plot point can absolutely be there. I just think this is the clunkiest possible way to introduce it. Well, look, without it, I would be so unexcited that the 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 big cliffhanger is the phrase three frogs that's true this the exit from <laughs> this arc which has been really good doesn't quite stick the landing into the eastern europe segment this is extremely clunky but i don't i don't know when else you're going to get it right i was thinking on that myself and i figure there's probably another way you can lead them to Eastern Europe. And then he finds it that, oh shit, the mother is alive. Well, what we could do is because we get the note and the note sends him on the train. And then he could have learned about why he's going there from Grimmer, who seems to know him anyway, in a mysterious way. Well, he is a national manhunt target. That, that what I'm saying is that it, Grimmer is new, and it would mm. be make sense for him to deploy for a new character who knows Tenma and kind of has an idea of what's going on a little bit uh, to deploy that new information, right? Yeah, that's the only other way I could have could have probably done it. Like, well, they're at a picnic. That's true. That's another scene that. Yeah. It, again, I just think that dumping all of and the mother is alive in this segment rather than having Tenma find it in a more organic way. Yeah, it does suck. Kind of irks me, but... There's not been many points where the the ordering of the telling of the story has been, like, very clunky, but this is... Mm-hmm. It does bump me out a little bit. But it's... And it's only hitting me on this second run-through through the series because when I was getting this a volume at a time every few months. The The pacing works a lot better. It's, this whole arc is like a year's worth of manga. Just all the Carl and Lottie and Munich chapters. Anyhow, we cut back to the arson in progress as Carl collapses to the floor and understands why his mother didn't hate Shuvald at the mansion. At the front, Rakevine cannot bash the door down. 
Dieter has called the fire department, but nobody has any idea what is happening inside. In the building, Tenma makes his way to one of the exits, gun in hand. He blasts off the locks, and with the help of more people joining in, everyone just bashes the door down with their bodies. People begin evacuating, order is restored, but before they can thank him, Tenma checks his gun, goes, two shots left, and runs back into the inferno. On the second floor, Nina Fortner has bashed in a window with a fire extinguisher and made her own path. It's very funny to me that she just chucks the fire extinguisher, doesn't bring it with me at all. Might, probably, like, might have brought that, might need it just to clear a place to where you're going. Very good. Look, CQC does not allow you to dual wield a pistol and a fire extinguisher at Why the not? same time, and she wants the gun. Punch, aim, squeeze, sweep. It's fine. <laughs> but... Below, Kenzo Tenma is just walking towards the stage, and when Johan sees him through the smoke, he begins approaching as well. Uh, Tenma can't pull the trigger, but Johan keeps silently goading, never breaking stride, and just with the biggest dick energy, brings up a finger and points it right to the center of the, his forehead. Incredible. Uh, mm -hmm. And as he screams to psych himself up, Nina dashes onto the stage, urging Tenma not to fire. Johan does not even turn around and just continues forward past the doctor while his sister takes aim. And then Tenma says she shouldn't fire before he flips around, also drawing on the sociopath. And finally, Johan just turns to them both, smirks, and the smoke rises up too high for anyone to see him. But it doesn't stop Nina from just firing wildly before the curtains and stage collapse around her and Shuvald, and the episode ends with a scream of, Nina! <laughs> this has gone so awry. Yeah. That takes us to episode 39, The Hell in His Eyes, which opens on a news broadcast about the uh, disaster. They have confirmed at least five are dead and 30 more are wounded. We pan through a hospital where some are lightly singed, others are more bandaged, and finally, behind a series of halls, Nina Fortner, forehead bandaged and laid in a bed, awakens. The next day, Lungay and his partner are investigating the burned-out library. The fire has basically erased any forensic evidence they can pick up, but Lungay keeps saying there's always something. The only people who don't leave a trace would be demons, and since demons don't exist, we've got to find a clue. Look, it's a cufflink. Take this and have it checked out. We get confirmation that Shuval did survive, albeit somewhat the worse for wear, when Lungay tries to barge in on yet another patient the doctors will not allow him to. However, doing so introduces him to Carl, who is going, All right, so my best friend is unaccounted for? Can literally anyone look for Johann Liebert after that fire? This, combined with Carl straight up not recognizing Tenma's photo, sets him on a new angle. Hmm, maybe I should look into this. Johann Liebert. Apparently, he moved out of his apartment two weeks prior and was never registered as a student at the university. Uh, the whole place is spotless. I've never left an apartment so clean. Uh, no no print. <laughs> no prints. No evidence. Nothing left behind. We get a scene of Lungay standing in the room, hand just completely still. Like, he, it keeps cutting to it. Like, it's really good because it, it shows yeah. us that Lungay is expecting to start entering data, 
and is flummoxed every time because there's nothing to take in at all. He chuckles and then cackles, asking himself, I am Johann Liebert. I am nobody. Am I a demon? And and we hard cut out of his laughter to the hospital where Lottie remembers she's in the plot and checks in on Nina, glad she was not severely injured. Lottie says that by all accounts, Nina was the last person out of the fire, according to the rescue workers, which leaves Nina confused. Was there a Japanese man at any of the local hospitals? Uh, only businessmen, apparently. The ones we saw last episode. So good. The, the, the subtitles say, there are lots of Japanese here, and the voice sounds mildly offended. It's very good. It carries a, you fucking racist. <laughs> well, Lottie is in college, and you know what kids learn in those years. Mm. Lottie, too woke for monster. They wait till our... she finds out how wait till she finds out how problematic Nina's birth is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nina is convinced that Tenma lifted the curtain off her and got her outside. She's, she must have been there. But Lunge finally gets his interview with Shuvald. The man does not respond for a single second to photos, questioning accounts until on his way out, Lunge pulls a Columbo. One more thing. Do you happen to know what befell your secretary, Johann Liebert? Despite his silence, Shuval's eyes go wide and his hand begins trembling. In the hallway, Lunge's like, yeah, no, he was listening to us the entire time. He's playing the wounded old man card. Whatever, we can come back to him. He does ask his partner for the rest of the survivors, thinking we should take statements from the non-VIPs, and then he flicks over the list and sees Nina. Nina Fortner. But it turns out that she checked out that morning and had given the police a false address, which is what you always do. <laughs> While hospital staff see if they had anything else on file, we cut across town to Nina in the therapy with Reichwein. He lets slip that he knows who she is and that he's a friend of Tenma's and the tension dissolves immediately. Dieter and Nina share some food and how they both miss the doctor. At the hospital, Shuvald asks Carl to go find a man in Dresden and deliver a message. And when he comes back, will he stay by his side? Carl agrees, telling his father that Margot never hated him, not once. And you get some uh, good animation here where you can just like see it like melt off Shuvald's face. Really great. This is a really touching scene. It's probably the first time that these two are not father and successor, but father and son. Yeah. This is a very believable relationship, and it's built without a lot needing to be said just because of, like, the quality of the animation in it, like, in very subtle ways. Big, big yeah. fan. Not over the top Again, like you're used to. We can't stress enough, this is a... A lot of little details are added by the animators to just make this feel more human. The camera work is good, the expressions are great, and some of that comes out of the art in the original manga, but excellent all around. This is where we start getting mention of the three frogs on a bridge, which we'll come back to over the next few episodes, but it's the worst therapy scene I have seen committed to screen outside of Hannibal as Dr. <laughs> Gillen is, like, Okay, 
I'm going to be very brief about this as someone who trained for this field. Everything that is happening here is wrong. We're doing what might be hypnosis for memory recovery, which you don't do. That That's how we got the satanic panic, is a lot of people are super suggestible like that, and if you are not very careful, you just end up creating false memories. Lottie is in the room screaming, which is no way good. Why is Lottie there? And this whole thing is not getting us anything other than basically a screaming Nita who remembers nothing until later that night she has a trauma dream alone in her room, remembers something, and it causes her to sneak out rather than share it with anyone else. But Dieter comes too because... You know, he probably woke up when he heard a scream, unlike all the ex-cops. And nobody knows how to shut down this kid's alpha move of keep following someone with a soccer ball. <laughs> I put my I put my walking boots into attack position. Ah, <laughs> uh, and finally, we cut to Dresden. Carl is standing in a square on his third day. He's about to leave town forever, having never seen anyone. And a stranger passes him. It's Tenma. He was told to wait for Carl when he rescued Shuvald from the flames. And he just says, I've been watching you for three days from the top of a building with binoculars to make sure you weren't followed. Uh, the message Carl passes on is three frogs on the Chedok Bridge. And that if the man Tenma is hunting for is a twin, their mother is still alive in Prague. Then we go to episode 40, Grimmer, where I rolled my eyes and said, come on, monster, you can't say the bit. <laughs> we Wait. cut to formerly East Germany, where outside, bullies are picking on a wiener kid, <laughs> knocking his shoes around. <laughs> what? <laughs> Look, if he didn't want to be called a bitch, he should stop being one. I... This kid has no name, and I just have no better description than bullies are picking on a wiener kid. Look, all I'm saying is that he's, as someone who is a huge bully, he is extremely bullyable, and I have no sympathy for him because he was asking for it. This kid will grow up to play a violin in a JRPG. That yep. is how much of a wiener kid he is. Fucking geek. <laughs> this kid grows up to be Alan in Xenosaga. <laughs> this kid's tweets are... Hey guys, so excited, got tickets for the Nier Automata concert. <laughs> this kid will grow up and be chiding the Republicans about decorum. All <laughs> 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 those fucking great tweets about how the Kente cloth was true representation. <laughs> I don't think we're topping that. <laughs> Inside... <laughs> Inside, however, nobody is roasting a small child, and instead, a man named Wolfgang Grimmer is investigating documents in an old archive. Yeah, he's investigating documents about how several people roasted several children. Oh, yeah. He is pursuing a story that's becoming quite... In some cases, literally. <laughs> yes. Um... He is pursuing a story that's becoming quite hard to find threads to pull, as a lot of dangerous material in the East is being covered up or destroyed the further we get from the wall collapsing. See, he's looking into allegations of systemic abuse in East German orphanages, the sort of thing that shouldn't happen under a Ministry of Public Welfare. 
And somehow he's heard stories of this thing called the Kinderheim program for non-standard orphans. People who might have been, you know, made orphans by the state when their parents, dissidents, spies, criminals, just happen to fall in a deep, dark hole and never emerge. When you say standard orphans, it makes me want to look up the NIST documentation on what a standard orphan is. Uh, a standard orphan is going to be male, uh, under eight years old, probably act out, and might not have shoes. UTF-16 compliant. <laughs> I so standard orphans. <laughs> How is this the topic that brings out the worst in us out of everything this week? Any anyhow, Wolfgang Grimmer heard that a local instructor, a Dr. Shunua, was probably involved in running one of the Kinderheims. I believe it's 61. Anyhow, uh, Dr. Shunua is like the Henry Kissinger of the Kinderheim program and that he will not face consequences and he refuses to die and cease being evil. Also, everyone loves him. Ugh. Before the scene ends, the archivist asks Grimmer about his origins, thinking that he's just some West German guy digging up more dirt from behind the wall. He's like, oh no, I was, I was born over here. I was a reporter sent all over the world to do international coverage. And then he just looks right at the archivist slash camera and goes, in other words, a spy. A wink, a wink. <laughs> it's great. On his way out, that fucking nerd punk is sitting under a tree outside crying, fully barefoot, put in his place like he deserves. Uh, Grimmer has a cute little scene cheering him up, giving him his grown ass man shoes and making the kid smile. Uh, real low key bully making him hoping he'll fall over. <laughs> uh, we cut to the scene at the train station where Grimmer is too nice and gets conned by the classic please I need bus fare very good he's coming off a little neurodivergent in this scene because someone tells him yeah you just got scammed he's like oh he fooled me wow and it's like uh okay man he just gives the guy 200 bucks yeah like it's a lot it's there's a weird energy to Grimmer that's really hard to convey from our descriptions because a lot him. of it comes down to performance. He's a great character. Oh, oh, so good. So then uh, he's he's been carrying, we haven't mentioned it yet, this giant duffel bag. Like, this is a fit two tents inside it duffel bag. This is a chop up a teen and put them inside of it duffel bag. Yeah. Very big, and he's trying to get it on the train, and yeah. it's just jamming in the door because he's not turning it sideways like you probably should for this. Look, I swear, swear to fucking God, dude. What? They're just... No, that that is it's so stupid, and, but also, people do that. As someone who's ridden the bus a lot, people do that shit. Makes me so mad. It's just wild because it's like, okay, man. I know this is going to be a tight fit either way, but you are literally trying to shove a hamburger through a hot dog bun here. So, this well, is terrible. To be fair, he's trying to shove an entire like charcuterie array through a ham hot dog bun, we find out later. Yeah, that that is still wild. Especially, that can't be cold. No! So <laughs> gross! Love sweaty, sweaty cheese. and wine. Ugh! <laughs> Maybe it's a German thing. They are they are disgusting over there. 
Ah, but who helps him get his bag on the train except kindly Dr. Tenma? And they're both sitting in the same sidecar. And they're both heading to Prague. And the odd couple theme starts playing. And Grimmer had a son who fucking died. And then the record scratch. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) And then then Tenma just brings it up later. Oh, yeah, the son who died? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would have been great if some miracle surgeon had been around when that thing happened to my kid. Oh, well, guess can't change that now. The whimsical banner comes to an end when the wallet inspector comes by and checks their passports. And Grimmer immediately goes serious after he leaves, saying, He definitely spotted the fake passport, Dr. Tenma. You should get out of here. And as the transit cops come back, Grimmer has conveniently wedged his enormous bag in the hallway, stalling them so Tenma can hop off the train. And an emergency stop is called to hunt for him. Everyone on the train must love this. Oh, so good. (laughs) Preventing Um, the murder of the Orient on the Express. Uh, that might be a title. It's so long. Uh, also, we can't refer to Tedma as the Orient in the title of our podcast. Uh, well, the doc- fa- it's just so good. <laughs> well, the doctor flees. Grimmer then hollers down from above. You'll be fine. They all went looking the other way. Would you like directions to the border? <laughs> Grimmer is the weirdest dude. It's great. Yeah, r- real real chaos energy from Grimmer here. Grimmer is a more personable Johan in a lot of ways. <laughs> hey, let's talk stories. Let's talk about child abuse. Did you know that a kid died? Also, have some meat. So weird. Um, the two walk and talk going through a little mountain pass, and Grimmer mentions that As a journalist during the bad times in East Germany, you got real familiar with spotting criminals who were being accused for political reasons and picking out the innocent from the guilty. Tenma gives off real big innocent vibes. This whole segment has Tenma shrugging off the doctor in his name as a title angrily, but Grimmer never stops. And then they stop for a picnic atop a bluff, giving them the ability to see any pursuit in case someone is still following, and also killing time until dark when crossing the border will be easier. This is where we find out that among all the documents in his bag, and we see he's got piles of books in there, he has a bottle of wine, an entire charcuterie, a lot of cheese. But like multiple charcuterie boards it's incredible there are like four there's a spread all over a blanket that was also in there and then they, then he probably just madmens it where he yanks out the blanket and leaves <laughs> the most haunting thing in Mad Men is when they leave the picnic by doing that I confess I have not seen Mad Men but that is one of three scenes from that show that I am aware of and uh. that probably says a lot show is pretty good. I like it. I tried watching the first season and it just never clicked. The first season is not very good until that guy's foot get ru- gets, run- gets run over by a John Deere. In the office. Okay, yeah, in an sold. office party. Sold! And it does end with Don Draper inventing, I'd like to buy a- the world a Coke, which is incredible. That is the third scene that I know about. And the second is, 
what time? What day is it? It's Tuesday. I don't know. It. <laughs> it's a lot. The show does spend a long time thinking that irredeemable assholes are cool. And then here's three seasons of irredeemable assholes grappling with the fact that everyone has abandoned them and they have ruined their lives by being irredeemable assholes. Pretty good. No wonder I bounced off this show. It it takes a it it takes a while because it lives in it for a while. No, I just meant I'm an irredeemable asshole. Mm. <laughs> I slept on the couch last night because of playing Oppression Olympics. That's okay. I I, I inserted a uh, a very questionable joke here into something you're going to read later. Okay. So yeah. Tenma confesses that he does not feel he can call himself a doctor anymore after killing Roberto and knowing he still has another man to murder on his list. I'm so glad Roberto is dead so I can stop thinking, oh boy, Roberto, every time he's on the screen. <laughs> well, we are kind of shifting into the back arc of the show, so you clean out the cast a little. <laughs> We're very excited for the Prague tournament arc. Uh, oh, no. Let's just say something could fit that, but it's not what you're thinking. A magic saw, but it's a tournament. <laughs> Actually, I think that was one of the last saw movies. I've never seen a saw movie. You don't need to. Even when I was a teenager, I knew that, oh, this is just edgy bullshit teenagers. The first one, I will give some props because it was a very interesting concept that didn't quite land, and then everything after was diminishing returns at five times speed. I... Especially because one movie takes place during another movie, and the main guy is dead for multiple of them, but keeps showing up in videotapes, and then he has like three successors who all argue over his shit like it's the end of Death Note. I will never get around to this because I've been busy watching Mike Garris's collected works. Nice. And no, I'm not saying you should watch Saw. I'm just saying that um, it. I have never seen something rip the wheels off a car in motion as hard as that franchise did so fast. That's true. I was going to say Final Destination, but Final Destination had three good ones. Yeah, Final Destination has a pretty good amount of quality and, in fact actually does the taking place inside another movie thing pretty well with a great last minute reveal. And it uh, uh, and it has 10 of the best minutes of cinema ever created at the opening of Final Destination 2. Yes. Yeah. Final Destination basically created a lot of the same style of trap kills as Saw, except it didn't have to give you a weird moralizing reason for them. It's just like, no, you pissed off death, stupid. Yeah, it. Like, the world is just mousetrap, but for killing you sometimes. Yeah. And you don't need to find out that you didn't treat a heroin addict once, and unfortunately, that man overdosed, which means now you have to decide how many of these needles you're going to stick in your balls to find out where you're numb enough to get the key out of your body. You know what, you know what I am excited about? I'm excited What's about that? the uh, Amazon series of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Seems like it could be a banger. I hate to admit it, I think I said this on another recording, Amazon kind of has, like, a lot of the shows that I'm looking forward to in the near future right now. Oh, 
Oh, that event horizon thing, whatever it is, gotta know. There's that. Wheel of Time actually looks good. Um, yeah. Where did Purge I'm very excited. I need to watch that. The Purge? Let's see. Uh, USA, what does that mean? Does that mean Hulu? Um, that might mean download it off the internet. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually know where that would be streaming. Oh I God, don't know who has seasons. The yes, I don't it's not this. amazing. What is it? Look, I don't expect it to be amazing, but I want it to be fine. I like the purge a lot. It's not as good as the first few movies. It's more like the last movie, which is not great. No. If it's not even Sorry. as good as the I'm with Herge, I'm probably not going to watch nope. that. It's not. Uh, it's what if Matt wrote a purge season? Oh, no. <laughs> I have to leave that in now just you for the do. reaction. Sorry, Matt. Also, I know exactly <laughs> what that means. And so does Matt. <laughs> yeah. On the podcast it's... I'm editing, I claim Matt hates the listeners because he missed recording on 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think next week is when we post our 9-11 spectacular. Oh, boy. Yep. Oh, anyhow, yeah. Near the border, the pairs split, and Grimmer says he'll head for the train station to enter legit, with Tenma moving through by the dead of night. As they walk away, Grimmer turns around one more time and just says, Dr. Tenma, remember, everyone carries their own burden of sins, and they never disappear. But that doesn't change the fact that we still do what we must. We cut forward slightly. It is nighttime in Prague, and Grimmer has arrived, loving the view in the city. There's a very... I don't know if this is a real thing in Prague, but it basically looks like a fairy tale castle just chilling near the big square. Yeah. Pretty wild. No, I just said nice architecture. Yes. I have, not, uh, I have not spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, and I currently can't for a lot of reasons. Hmm. On, a, on account of still being legally assumed dead. Little bit of that, little bit of I'm not traveling internationally during this shit. Uh, he sees a man sitting alone at an outdoor cafe and asks if he can borrow the second seat, which gets him a grumpy... Slowly, he lays out that he knows this man immigrated here, and would you possibly tell me about 511 Kinderheim? Because you see... I know that you go by this alias now. You paid some Russians to cover up that you were once named Petrov and ran the place. And Petrov drops the paper, and we just see flashes of the past. Photos and a spinning fan. End. Not a super exciting batch of episodes, but it is definitely a transition set of episodes. It is, and... I cut this one here because the whole next bit is the start of a new arc, and I wanted to give us as much time as we could. I know this is a big problem I have with manga adaptations, and I know it's a result of the original medium being manga, but mm -hmm. I really hate I really hate that the pacing of manga adaptations is like if you cut a sine wave off at the bottom. And there's just a whole bunch of bummers in between these arcs. And I know it's because that's how they get written. You write them in, a, in big bursts and then they come out for a while. But I really wish adaptations would fucking smooth that over so the pacing didn't take a shit every eight episodes for two more. Yeah, and 
that's the big issue with this show, this series going. I wouldn't say real time, but it does starts and fits. And it's like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of transit time in between events and everyone's cleaning up after the last one. But we just keep jumping forward and staggering things. And then we play catch up with how long has it been? What's the time jump? What has everyone been doing? Where did these five individuals go? Will they show up? By the end of this, I guarantee you my opinion will be that you could cut 10 of these episodes out, no problem. Like, not even cutting not even cutting out the one-offs. Just by doing a better job of the in-between arcs pieces. I'm not gonna lie. I will... I don't know that I'll go as high as 10, but... I can already make you a cut of this that, especially if we cut some of the cold open reuse of the final scenes, you could easily drop five from this runtime. Probably higher. But we'll be back in two weeks with episodes 41 through 44 and investigate the trail of Anna Liebert's tears. See ya. Peace out, fuckers. I saw that landmine, baby. I just want you to know that at one point, Chris had suggested that the end of this be a mix of the Three Frogs clip with Crazy Frog overlaid upon itself three times in a round robin. I could not in any way make that sound good, but I am leaving this here as the outro in front of a little bit of cut discussion the two of us had like idiots. See ya! We went to see Shen Yun, which is uh, pretty good, but the program includes the lyrics to some of the songs, which are incredible. Oh? Uh, I'm going to read it later, whenever, we're, whenever we need some filler. Okay. Yeah, Um, I am familiar with Shen Yun because my former job would be one of their hosts uh, every time they came around to San Diego. Well... So here's the thing with it, is that it's propaganda for a meditative religion-based cult in China, but it's propaganda run out of the U.S. because they are, in fact, being religiously prosecuted and murdered by the CCP, but it is still weird. And as a result, you get a song called Blessings from on High, where the lyrics go, The creator has come to earth. Modern thought is a cancer poisonous. Atheism is a foolishness born. True are these words, though unadorned. Incredible shit. I mean, the thing I'm going to remind you is that prior to taking my current job, the people I worked for who hosted them were also a cult. Hell yeah. Yeah. So every year, they would get lodging and performance around the temple, and then every year, part of my job in ops was dealing with, oh god, how the fuck are we going to fit 7,000 acrobats in this place? The other lyrics are also good, from the song Shen Yun Gives Hope. Who await the creator's deliverance to heaven new? We have come to this earth as the universe crumbled. The doctrines of atheism and evolution now deceive and destroy us. Modern thought and ways change us for the worse. You look can't necessarily argue with you there on no, that last point. No. <laughs> Definitely cannot, says person working in tech.
<laughs> these lyrics are good for Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> um.